Hello and welcome to The Ordinary Knitter, the knitting podcast that's mostly about the projects, sponsored by EcoFlap home draft proofing products, including the PetFlap draft proof pet door. Find out more about the PetFlap at thepetflap.com. The Energy Efficiency Podcast is also available through Apple Podcasts or at podcast.ecoflap.co.uk. My name is Heather and I'm at The Ord Knitter on Twitter, at The Ordinary Knitter on Instagram and at Ordinary Knitting on Ravelry. This time, knitting a nine men's Morris board, five ply socks, DK jumpers and plans for Christmas knitting. My daughter is very interested in the Anglo-Saxons. Bear with me, I'm going somewhere with this. So in the summer, we went to the Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery to see the Staffordshire Hoard. It's a pretty easy journey for us, or it should be. We actually ended up getting partial refunds on our tickets because the trains decided to bugger about. But nonetheless, it's not that far away and it was a nice girls' day out. As part of the exhibition, there's a nine men's Morris board and we had fun at a few rounds of that. It occurred to me later on that a nine men's Morris board and counters would be a good homemade Christmas present for her. I had originally anticipated my husband carving something out or, you know, doing something very sort of roughy tufty. But then I thought, oh, I could knit one. And then it would have the advantage that she could roll it up or store it easily. And none of this awkward stuff with you've got to get everything perfectly put into a box or bloody lid won't go on or something. So if you've never seen a nine men's Morris board, it's essentially a set of lines at right angles to each other with what I can only describe as blobs at strategic intervals. How you move along the lines and take pieces and so on is dictated by the placement of the blobs. So that's all clear. I looked for a pattern because I thought charting it would be an absolute nightmare, but I couldn't find a pattern, so I had to chart it. It was pretty mind-bending stuff, I freely admit, not least because it took quite a while for the penny to drop that the lines and blobs on a board aren't evenly spaced. And once I'd grasped that, it more or less fell into place. I'm sort of just skimming over a few hours of, um, you know, bad-tempered swearing at this point, but essentially it, it kind of worked from that point onwards. Let me say now, though, that my search continues for knitter's graph paper with faint lines, five line markings and a blank facing page for sketches and notes. So if you design knitter's stationery, that's what we're looking for or what I'm looking for. Now I've knitted enough wee mats and flannels to know that I needed a seed stitch border. If you're knitting a flat piece of stocking stitch or should I say a piece of stocking stitch which is intended to be flat, if you don't have a a ideally seed stitch or a rib border, the edge of the stocking stitch will just roll up. And sometimes on something like a hat or on fingerless mitts, that can actually be quite a nice cuff effect. And I've got both hats and mitts where it does that. And where that's what's designed to happen, it's great. But if it's not what you had in mind, it can be really frustrating. So I knew that I had to make sure I had a seed stitch border all the way around. So I wrote in one of those and I embarked on a test knit. I had always intended to make this in Aran. So for my test knit, I just used some Aran that I already had. All I was wanting to do was to test the mechanics of the pattern, not its beauty. 
Now, it took me quite a while to finish this because I couldn't do it when my daughter was around. And it's one of those projects, for reasons I will come to in a wee bit, where you don't just, it's not like socks where you think, oh, I'll just do a couple of rounds. Uh-uh, not with this. You either know you can sit there for an hour or you just don't get started. So it um, took me quite a while to finish the test nip. I got there in the end. One decision I had to make early on was whether to go for intarsia or colour work for the, the lines and blobs. I started off with colour work. Perhaps what I should say, perhaps it would be more accurate to say, I always knew I was going to have to do colour work. The question was whether there was going to come a point where it would make more sense to do intarsia. So I started off with colour work because I had these great long stretches of a single colour. Let's say you've got a white or in this case I had a cream background and you've got your first square is just all the way around the edge. So your first few rows, you've basically got far more white than you have of your second colour. I could just carry that second colour vertically up from one row to another at the edges. So that wasn't a problem and that's not appropriate for intarsia. You wouldn't really even technically call this colour work because you're not doing at this stage, you know, a couple of stitches of this colour, a couple of stitches of that colour. All you're doing is knitting um, a couple of stitches at each end of a piece that's got, I can't remember now, but a hundred odd stitches. So it's not it's not even colour work. You're just taking a colour up the back. However, I'm knitting this flat. So I'm doing a knit row and then a purl row, which can also be a bit of a pain when you've got uh, later on, you've got um, other bits of colour to work in. It just makes bringing in the other colours. You just keep need to keep your eyes open. You need to stay sort of switched on. But um, because I did each of the coloured lines is um, two rows. So that meant that my yarn always ended up back where I was going to need it if I needed it another couple of rows up, if that makes sense. So the pattern gets more involved as time goes on. Your lines and your blobs get rather more crowded in on each other. And at that point, there's an, an argument for intarsia because you've got this intensive burst of activity in the middle and then these much longer gaps out to the furthermost edge lines. So what I ended up doing was combining the two, partly also because I wanted to test the effect of using colour work as in taking the second colour and um, anchoring floats across the back for the sort of medium distances, you know, 12 stitches, not not 60, but, you know, just for those, that's all fair enough. Just, um, you know, use uh, colour work for that and anchor your floats. But in the other places, you've got um, so much going on that intarsia makes sense. And I wanted to see how the different effects looked from the right side. The rear side is um, doesn't bear looking at. I decided in the end that combining colour work and intarsia is actually not a bad approach, but my God, it gets complicated with all the bobbins and so on sprouting out of the back. It was absolute spaghetti. In fact, it was more spaghetti than spaghetti is. I sometimes had to shove it into my knitting bag in a hurry when my daughter appeared. So you can just imagine how tangled these bobbins become. I'm a cheapskate and I just use some plastic pegs that I've got, which look a great deal like intarsia bobbins. And they They've always been able to take comfortably as much yarn as I've needed for an intarsia pattern. And they were just all clacking around like castanets at the back of the work. And uh, I, I know it shouldn't happen, but, you know, they did get tangled sometimes. And uh, it took quite a while to get them all straight before I could start, you know, sitting down for a bout of actual knitting rather than untangling.
So as I say, this was a test knit and there were learnings. I realised early on that the seed stitch border was too short, uh, both horizontally and vertically. So as I was knitting, the border along the long edge at the bottom was beginning to flip up. So obviously I realised that I hadn't done enough rows of that. And so when I got to the other end of the piece, I deliberately did three or four more rows of seed stitch, which was a bit of a labour of love. I find it a bit tedious, to be honest, but it made all the difference. So fair enough. I know now I've got to do, you know, at least seven rows. Um, and it was also the case at the sides as well, because I had something like five um, stitches of seed stitch but because of knitting it flat and having knitting on one side and purling on the other I found that whichever stitch I was starting off with was really compromising the width of the seed stitch border so I, I know now that I need to make sure that the seed stitch uh, the, the borders um, going vertically they also need to be wider so I'm, I need to be looking at you know probably a minimum of six well six stitches because then that should give me five of actual seed stitch, no matter what's going on. So uh, that was, you know, one of the, the the main design elements that I need to change when I write this up properly. I also decided as I went along that the piece would look better with smaller needles. I think I think I used I'd have used either a five and a half or a five millimeter, and I need to go down half a size. I think if I went down a whole size, it might all end up being a little bit too tight. And, you know, when you're you're playing with intarsia and colour work and so on, you you know, you don't want to go too far the other way either. Um, the re one of the reasons why I want to go down a, a needle apart from uh, half a needle, <laughs> apart from the fact that I think it looks better, I just prefer that tighter, closer weave. Um, also, you've got so many places where you're bringing in another yarn colour, whether through intarsia or colour work. And sometimes, especially if you've got great long stretches, you know, row after row after row, where you're bringing in a second colour at the same point. So as you look at the piece, you can see vertically, it's a little bit wibbly. Um, I think that's less obvious when you've got a tighter weave in the first place. When your weave is a bit open, some of these slightly Slacker, dare I say it, points um, are more obvious. You know, and when you're doing horizontal and vertical lines, it's the vertical lines that matter. You know, in this case, it's really unforgiving. You know, if you're knitting trees or tractor wheels or a lion's mane or something like that, you know, putting an intarsia pattern like that on a kid's jumper or something, you, you can, it's not quite so obvious, but, you know, you've got a vertical line. Yeah, you can really see it. So what I need to do now is knit it for real with proper yarn. Now, partly because it's an Anglo-Saxon game and I'm obviously aiming for high authenticity and partly because my daughter doesn't have my issues with wool, I'm going to choose a high wool content yarn. I can't wear wool but I can knit with it and I think it's possibly because I use a lot of hand cream. I'm sort of insulating myself against the wool. At this point, I expect to use a cream background, maybe with a bit of a fleck in it, with brown lines and blobs. I suppose I really should get on with buying the yarn because I've got to get it made by Christmas. And my experience with the test knit should tell me that, you know, I'm not going to be knocking it out over a couple of evenings. I looked in my local yarn shop recently to, to find the sort of Aaron I was after, but I couldn't find anything really even approaching what I wanted. So I'm going to go to my usual haunts online and look for the sort of thing. And I'm really looking forward to it. 
Um, I do intend to make the pattern available or even just a chart or both when I've proven to myself that the tweaks work and I've had a chance to polish it up into a socially acceptable pattern with a nice picture. But if anybody wants a copy of the rough and ready or not so ready version, just let me know and I'll, I'll be happy to share it. A couple of years ago, I knitted Kim Hargreaves' top called Taylor for my daughter. It shouldn't have worked, but it turned out like a dream. It's a fairly ordinary long-sleeved jumper, for want of a better phrase. It's that type of top, but it's quite short in the body with a reasonably deep welt. And it's got a little crew neck, so not a flip-over polo neck and not just a flat round neck. It just creeps up the neck a wee bit. That, at the time, was what Polly really liked. Now, the pattern is designed to be knitted in stocking stitch, but Polly prefers garter stitch, so I made it in that. Now, of course, if you do garter stitch as opposed to stocking stitch, your stitches come out a different dimension. The height and width is very different of um, the way each stitch works out on a piece of garter stitch as opposed to stocking stitch. Uh, but because Polly is very slim and because a couple of years ago she's a bit shorter than she is now, um, the change in size really worked well. Um, two and a half years later, she still wears it and she still gets compliments on it. She asked me recently for another one in plain grey. Fine, I thought. I found the pattern and worked out that with a following wind, I had about enough grey DK. The other piece of great news was that the design is meant to be knitted in stripes. And that's what I did with the first one, black and grey stripes. But I thought even better, you know, if she doesn't want the stripes, I don't have that extra element of bringing it in and making sure I keep everything properly spaced. And also when I set in the sleeves, I don't have to worry about matching up stitches. So I thought, oh, this is great. It's going to go really well. I've knitted it before. You know, I'm familiar with it. And then she decided she wanted a V-neck. Alarms really began to ring at that point. Last year, I made her a jumper called Brick by Claire Lee. And this was, again, it's a fairly ordinary jumper, although it's longer in the body with a, a narrower welt. And it had a bit of a scoopy round neck. And Polly has never worn it because she decided the neck was too wide and scoopy for her liking, even on the appropriate size for her. So I had to hack it to make it smaller. And really what this ended up being was quite industrial levels of stitch reduction. And in the end, it ruined the piece. Uh, if it was me, I'd just stick a scarf around it and still wear it. But, you know, she's 17 and they don't do scarves. Uh, so essentially, when she said she wanted a different neckline, I just... I. I just immediately ruled out hacking Taylor to be a v-neck. If you've ever knitted or if you've never knitted a v-neck, the construction starts, um, well, it's just completely different because you've got to incorporate the point of the v down, you know, towards the bust line and oh, it just changes everything. And I, I just knew that the... Um, mechanics of re-engineering the front of Taylor to incorporate a v-neck had significant scope to go severely wrong I just thought no that's that's not going to work so we had to look for something new this is always a nightmare with Miss Fussy and eventually we settled on what I think is called jumper number four I'm unsure who wrote this pattern as the information isn't on the pattern. I'll try again to find the link. Uh, it's not a Ravelry download. Uh, 
The pattern is available in French, English, German, and what I think is Spanish, but I can't tell the difference between Spanish and Portuguese because I speak neither. So apologies if I've got that wrong. A jumper number four is a simple v-neck uh, with a couple of buttons and a little collar. Polly doesn't want the collar, which is easy enough to admit. I checked through the pattern before I said that to her and essentially um, you, you sort of do you do your uh, neckline, I should imagine. I mean, many pieces like this, you actually cast on at the back of the neck and shape from there. And I just need to make sure that the edge of the back of the neck um, is nice. So I haven't, I've actually got it almost within arm's reach, but I'm going to pull my, my leads out of sockets if I go for it. So I'm not sure if this actually casts on from the welt or from the back of the neck, but I just need to make sure that it's a nice finish rather than something that's a bit, you know, uh, sort of functional rather than beautiful because they know you're going to come along and pick up for the collar, which obviously I'm not going to be doing. She doesn't want the buttons either. On The, the little v-neck has a couple of buttons, which is obviously tragic because now it means I won't have all the fun of making the buttonholes. Again, I have just enough grey yarn to make it, I think. Typically, she won't consider black, of which I have nearly twice as much. One thing which has really surprised me about Taylor is uh, the, this yarn that I made it from and that I'm going to make the next one from. It's really bog standard acrylic mixed yarn from Aldi. I know I'm so classy. And on other items, there's, a you know, it's uh, it's bobbling and it's doing that thing where it sort of goes a bit furry almost. Um, but it, this Taylor hasn't done this. And although I've never tumbled it because I've been there before, I learned that lesson, never going to do that again. Um, it's obviously washed and she wears it and she doesn't look after it but there's no visible bobbling and I'm wondering if having made it in garter stitch has done us a favour there because because of the um, sort of raised nature of garter stitch any bobbling will be a lot less forgiving than on the nice smooth stretches of stocking stitch. I've told her that I won't be casting on particularly soon for a jumper number four, but I must admit I'm quite keen to take on a big project again as it feels like it's been ages. Now, this brings me on to Christmas knitting. This year's gifts are going to be some practical, some nice, if you know what I mean. The nice is lemon sugar, tarted up with pretty fabric on the lids. The practical is going to be a set of washing up scrubbies with some dish soap. I got 12 bars of dish soap last week, so I can give away a few. I've talked before about Spongy Dishcloth by Stephanie Lindner. Listen to episode 67 for um, the skinny on that. The pattern is written for Aaron, so in other words, 10-ply, but I used double-stranded 5-ply simply because I had so much 5-ply to use up, stuff which isn't suitable for socks. I've also made one in an Aran and I find that the double five ply is much more successful. It feels much sturdier, more substantial, like it's getting your pots and pans cleaner. I have some silver five ply that has a little textured fleck in it. So when that's knitted up into a scrubby, it's a little bit like the silver scrubbing pads you get in the supermarket. Not wire wool. You can just get these sort of spongy pads that have got, uh, you know, a silver roughening to them. It's not quite as fierce as that, but, you know, it, it makes the point. So my plan at the moment, with all the time in the world, is to give each person, one of each of these lucky recipients of this practical kit for dishwashing, uh, one of each of those. So one of the sort of scrubby silver ones, one of a, a more standard, more gentle, softer 
uh, yarn and then each person will also get a bar of dish soap. This is in an effort to just kind of show people that you don't have to keep buying plastic bottles of washing up liquid from the supermarket. You know, there are alternatives. However, before I can start the Nine Men's Morris board, the Scrubbies or the Jumper, I have to finish a pair of socks. I'm making sport boot socks by Christina Owen, a Millie O design. I chose these because they're one of the vanishingly rare five-ply sock patterns I've found that are written toe up. For years, I've made four-ply socks and I have a, I've, I say I have a pattern. I have over time developed a pattern with odds and ends from other people that fits my husband really nicely. So it did feel like a walk on the wild side, abandoning that to make something new. But I have a great deal of green five-ply that I was given two or three years ago and it was the obvious candidate for a pair of socks. I used some of it earlier this year to finish the cuff on multicoloured socks I'd made with four-ply scraps. You know how you always have that bit left over after making socks? Well, I've used all of those bits to make two pairs of socks for my husband. It's great. It feels like you're just getting free socks. Um, but on the final stretch of the last pair, I had to go for the five-ply for that last little bit of the cuff. I just couldn't, I couldn't quite, I didn't quite have enough four-ply scraps left to make the cuff come up as high on his leg as he wanted it to. Um, it felt nice to knit with and it washed well, so I felt it had passed the test. This sport boot sock pattern is over two rounds and it gives a very textured finish. Everything was fine until it came to starting the heel. Now, anyone who's ever heard me talk about socks knows I'm a slavish devotee of the Flegel heel and with good reason, I feel. This one that was part of this pattern, however, is what I believe is a more standard short row heel that uses wrapped stitches. I'd never done wraps before and I was interested to give it a go. What was I thinking? I just It shot me back to when I did an afterthought heel a year or two ago and swore never to repeat that experience. Now, I'm not the best with fiddly stuff. My God, did I find this fiddly. I didn't take to it from the off, but I felt I should persevere. But after about 10 rows and then getting to the point of double wrapping, I had well and truly had enough. I think the thing I didn't like is it just felt so unnecessarily involved when I know that the Flegel Hill works so well and it's really pretty simple. I mean, there's, there's, there's really nothing that you have to get your head around with it. You just need to be shown how to do it. There's nothing unduly fiddly at all. And it just, it just felt like I was going round three two sides of a triangle when I could have just gone down the short side for no real gain that I could see. Now before I started knowing I was leaping into the unknown I had nearly put a lifeline in but I thought no don't be silly how hard can it be? I should have put a lifeline in. I tried to put a lifeline in afterwards but I found it so difficult to see clearly what was going on. It's a darkish green, this, and I just, you know, I think I'd have needed a head torch to really be able to see what I was doing, um, that in the end, I tinked back. I was only a bit of a way through the heel. So although tinking back was a bit, uh, you know, having spent half the weekend snatching 20 minutes here and there to, to start this thing, um, it was mildly irritating to have to undo it all. But I tell you, though, I'm glad I did. Um, I've now got to the point where um, I've turned the heels. They always makes me feel like I've achieved something um, when I turn a heel. Uh, 
So these socks are really barreling along. In the end, all I've really needed the pattern for is the stitch count. Um, it's nice to have the textured pattern, but to be honest, when I make socks for my husband, you know, I like them to look nice and like they've been properly done. I want him to enjoy wearing them, but I don't feel the need to make them overly decorative, if you see what I mean. He's not somebody who goes in for lots of pattern or frou-frou or anything like that. And it was nice to have this pattern. It's a bit different. I'm happy to give it a shot, but really a simple rib would have done. And just with the stitch count, I could have worked up a rib from there. And assuming that they work, which I think they're going to do because so far the fit is really nice. One of the things I love about toe up socks is you can try the socks on as you go in a really natural way. You can really tell how naturally the sock is fitting. So I think in future I would just do a rib and, you know, be done with the, the pretties. I should say that the, my inability to do a short row heel or a wrapped short row heel is absolutely not a reflection on the pattern. It's a perfectly normal approach to doing a heel and I'm sure better knitters than I would have had absolutely no problem with it. So it's not a criticism of the pattern. It's simply a reflection of my ineptitude. I think that's me for today. I have lots of knitting chat in my head just now, so I hope to be back sooner than I have been. I think I lost my knitting motivation a bit with just having to find projects to make with my existing yarn. You know, I'd had so much fun over the last year or two with baby knitting and this and that, and all of a sudden it was just a bit, ah, uh, but same old, same old. But anyway, I'm really pleased to say that's just evaporated lately, and suddenly I'm full of plans for my dwindling stash. So thanks again for listening. I'm so delighted that people listen, even when I go quiet for months. So thank you. It's very much appreciated.